0: lives amen I mean that's why we're here right I mean I hope your life has changed because of God that that something has happened because of the work of the Holy Spirit and because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice if you look throughout the Old Testament and even on in the New Testament you see how God changes lives before Paul was the leading contributor to the world's best-selling book. He was roaming around breathing murderous threats on a group of people that he would one day give his life for. That's just one example we have. How about Moses? Before, Moses was the most humble man who ultimately led millions of people through the Red Sea, out and into the wilderness, and towards the promised land. He was running from a government because he had killed one of their officials. That doesn't come across as very humble. And what about Joseph? Joseph later on in his life, he was generous, he was gentle, and he was overly forgiving of some brothers who had tried to kill him and instead sold him off as a slave. But before he was forgiving, he was arrogant, and he was pompous, and he was nothing but a brat. All he could do was talk about his colorful coat and his self-gratifying dreams that he had. How he was better than everyone else around him. Over and over again, we see how God changes lives. Now, I'm not writing letters from jail. I'm not parting the sea, and I'm not saving a nation, but I have to tell you that I used to live a different life. It was a life that was filled with deception and blood and lies. And I can show that to you from this very first picture that we have here. I used to be a fisherman. And you know what happens if you're a fisherman, right? If you meet a fisherman, never believe what they're going to say. Because the fish keeps getting bigger and the tail keeps getting taller. Now I know you see that picture. And the one thing that you can't get over is, wow, Doug hasn't aged a bit. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I mean, that was, I think I was probably about 21 years old. uh, And there I'm holding an eight-pound bass that I caught uh, out out of a boat. That thing was 23 and a half inches long. I can remember that. Because at the time, the, uh, the state of Texas had a program that if you would, you would give them a 24-inch or longer bass, they would give you a free replica of, of that bass. And they would take that and, and do studies. It was a half an inch. If I had waited just a few more weeks or if I could have stretched that guy out a little bit more. But all I have left is this picture. But this morning, I want to talk for a few minutes about fishing. And the whole idea and what, what the sport of fishing is all about. And if you're a fisherman, I hope you have your steel-toed boots on because you're probably going to get your toes stepped on for just a few minutes. Because I want you to know that the whole sport of fishing is built on an attempt to deceive not just the people whom you're telling the story to about the one that got away it's to those little bitty fish or maybe even some bigger ones as a fisherman my goal was to trick entice and entrap a fish sometimes a fisherman might use worms if you can get the little worm on the hook or maybe you might want to choose minnows Or if you really want to you can create some homemade concoction that would make your eyes water and your gag reflex go into overtime there are so many different ways other times you might use a jig or a lure depending on the place the temperature and how full the moon is I mean there's just so many different types of sciences behind fishing in fact one of my favorite Things that my grandpa used to say is if you want to catch a fish you got to hold your jaw just right I have no idea what that meant but I spent a lot of time with my mouth open thinking if I can get that fish to do the same thing and so what we're gonna do is I want to show you a few pictures but I need some help Paisley will you come up here and help me out you've already agreed so you can't say no now she's been lured in she's gonna help me out I have a few I went to my tackle box Okay, and I want to show you, they're going to get to see uh, on the screen what I have right here. And I do want you to know these are sharp. I have not childproofed these, but you want to hold this guy. Okay, you got this. Okay, this is a plug. And that little clear thing up front is called a lip. And it actually serves a purpose, right? And so when you crank on that, when you start to reel in, that causes this little guy to kind of dive down a little bit. And so what happens here is as you're pulling it, it goes like this. And the fish see that and they say, oh, wow, that's an active looking little fish. I want to take a bite of it. Now, let me just ask you this. Have you ever seen a fish before? Have you ever seen a neon green fish before with a yellow and orange stripe on the bottom? Nothing like that at all. Why in the world, why would somebody make a lure like this? Why? Why would they do it? To trick the fish into eating it? How terrible would that? Okay, let's go to this next one. How about this guy? Okay, this is a this is a top water one. Look, it's got a little propeller on the end of it. Isn't that cute? And so, what this does? This one, when you when you push down on it, it dips down. This one goes on top, and I'll let you hold it. Okay, and that one, it, that little prop spin, and what does that do? It makes the fish want to eat it. There's a lot of noise. They get that go, up, 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 up. And oh, it's always so fun to just reel that bad boy in and just hope that you can get a big fish off of that one. Okay, now this one, okay, you got to be careful with this one. This is um, called spinner bait, right? Okay, so these little these little uh, metal things right here, they kind of spin and shine. They're a little rusty, so they don't shine as well. Now, you got to be careful. Hold this from here. Because this one's a tricky one. The other two, you can see the hooks. And I, I can't imagine that any fish would look at this and go, wow, I would love to eat a neon fish. But on top of that, there's these hooks. Now, this guy is smart because there is a hook. But look, the hook is hidden way down deep in all that little stuff right there. And so they're going to go after this thing. They're going to see the shiny thing. They're going to see the long, blonde, flowing little hair. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's lunchtime, Right. Okay, so that's another way. And then this last one, oh, this is great. You're going to love this. Okay, this is a power bait, and I'm convinced that the longer that you have it, the worse that it smell. Oh, dear goodness. This thing, I've had this for a long time. Okay, you want to hold one of those things? Okay, don't eat it. It's not a gummy worm. Okay, this is my favorite. This is a red shad, and it's what I actually caught that that bass on. And I didn't have the hook with it because I didn't want to get you. But, but you put the hook down in through there, and then this little guy just goes across. Now, it's, it's not fancy, okay? There's, it's not neon blue. There's no propeller on the end. It doesn't dive down, okay? But it, it uh, attracts fish in a different way. Can you imagine what that might be? Here, let me you just get a good whiff of that. <laughs> this stuff has some nasty, oily stuff that, mmm, wow, it is. You want to smell? Doesn't that smell good? Doesn't that make you hungry? Don't you think? I just, I wish I could just take a bite of this. Wouldn't it be real? There's no hook in there, are you sure? Okay, so all four of these have one goal. And what's that? And you've said it already before. What do they try to do? They, They try to convince a fish to eat one of these things. You did so great. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. Paisley just had a birthday last week she's 11 years old she is in fifth grade I said are you excited about going into um, middle school next year and she says I don't know but I'm pretty sure my mom's gonna cry so so we are uh, Paisley I'm sorry polka dot uh, is a good friend of mine we're camp buddies and thank you so much for helping me out with that okay so the purpose of the lures is to um, well basically lure fish into thinking they've got something good now as a fisherman that's okay we're good with that you can put the worm on the hook even the little minnow it's okay you know there's more minnows out there right it's not a big deal but but just think about this for just a second whether you catch and release or you fry and eat No part of the fishing expedition is for the benefit of the other fish. Think about that for just a second. I'm not here to condemn fishing or fishermen by any stretch. I love a good piece of catfish as well as the next person. Oh, and jumbo shrimp. Don't get me started on that. We're in the desert, so we won't be eating any of that this morning. But what I want to talk about is the idea... Of getting caught by something that seems so enticing and so alluring what does this have anything to do with a Sunday morning sermon well I'm glad you asked this morning we're going to spend just a few seconds in a chapter that everyone is probably familiar with it's Luke chapter 15 it's really the one of the most powerful poignant stories that Jesus tells It is the story of the lost son. A lot of times we refer to it as the story of the prodigal son. And I want to start off in verse 11 as Jesus tells this story. It says, Therefore, uh, excuse me, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now there's a lot that's going to go on after this. We are not even going to talk about the response of the father. We're not going to talk about the packing of the bags. We're not going to talk about the far country or the pigs or the coming home or the father running back or the feast. None of that. I just want to focus in on 11 and 12. Jesus says, hey, there's a story. There's this father. He has two sons. And the younger one says, father, give me what's owed to me. Now, several years ago, uh, Lance and I were looking at the, the Hobbs' new son, and it was just another one of those crazy stories about somebody who just went off the rails and did something that you thought, that why in the world would they do that? right? And, and while we were having that conversation, he made this comment. He says, I wonder what kind of story it would take to rationalize what that person did. And I've thought about that a whole lot. What story, what backstory do you have to make up that says, okay, this is completely rational. It totally makes sense. People do crazy things. What story do we have that comes before that crazy action that in some way justifies it? So Jennifer and I had been dating for just... Uh, A few weeks uh, but but we like to go out to dinner and finally after about the third or fourth date we're out at the table and I think we might have been at Chili's and she said can I ask you a question I said yes she says what are you doing with your arm I don't know what am I doing with my arm and she then went on to describe the posture that I had while i was eating and if you can imagine for a second if this were the plate of food i'm right-handed my fork was in the right hand i do i do eat with utensils people i'm not a neanderthal come on and my left hand was like this and i would have my face hovering over my food and i would eat like and i thought this was normal it's what normal people do right this is how you eat your food like this And she says, why is your arm around your plate like that? And I said, I don't know. I'm I'm guarding my food. And she looks at me, you know, kind of like, do you think I'm going to do something to your food? Story, what backstory is there for us guys who would do this while we're eating our food, you know, looking around? Well, it's simple. Randy and Kevin. It's my two older brothers. You could never trust them around food. They were either putting something on your plate or more likely taking something off of it. You never knew which would be worse. You would come back and they would have dumped half of the salt shaker and hid it underneath there, and you go to take a bite. It's like, oh, that's the worst ever. And so, this is my backstory to eating like a crazy guy was the fact that I was just trying to protect my food. So let's go back to Luke chapter 15. And I want to ask the question, what happened between verses 11 and 12? Verse 11 says this, There was a man who had two sons. Seems pretty normal. And then we get to verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. What happened? What happened to the father and the two sons? And then all of a sudden, the very next verse, just bam, out of the blue, the younger says, hey, dad, I'm tired of living with you. I want what you owe me when you're dead. You're not dead yet, so just pretend, Ed, and give me your money. I want to go, and I want to ask the question, and I want you to answer this. Come up with some story. What happened between eleven and twelve? Why would he go to his father and say, "Dad, give me what you owe me"? I want to leave. What happened? He got greedy? He had an older brother. Oh, older brother always does right. Older brother always gets A's. Older brother is always working hard out in the field. What's the story he told? You know, I've seen brochures of what it's like in the far country. It's a really nice place. He thought the grass was greener on the other side. Maybe he thought it was more promising. Maybe he thought it was was more fun. Maybe he thought there would be better job opportunities or an opportunity to find a spouse there. Something lured him away. Something convinced him that what was over in the far country, what was away from the father's house, was better than what he had while he was sitting at the table. And this is where we find ourselves. At one time, the younger one sat at the table with his father, and all was well. And then the enemy showed up. I want to read an excerpt from this book I've been going through. It's called uh, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your uh, Table by Louis Giglio. Listen to this sin offers a solution sin guarantees relief if you're down sin will bring you up if you're stuck sin shows you the way out if you're miserable sin promises comfort if you're outraged sin offers perfect justice if you're lonely sin becomes your best friend there was some point where this younger son got convinced that leaving his home and leaving his family, that basically trying to disown his father, was better. Sin had convinced him that he should leave. It was more enticing. it was more alluring. Sometimes sin says, drink this and all your problems will go away. Sometimes sin says, just work harder and stay at work longer. Sin sometimes says, just turn the other way. Sin says, make that phone call. Sin says, it's going to be better for you. How many of you have been hurt before? I mean, really hurt before. You've been betrayed. You've been cheated on someone you trusted and someone you loved, something that they said or they did just completely crushed you. It changed the way not only how you thought about them, but how you thought of yourself and everybody else. And that began to fester inside you more and more. And sin will creep in And sin will say, that person is a monster and they're evil and they deserve worse than what hell could offer to them. And sin says, you should be angry at them. You should seek revenge. That you should spread to the world everything that they've done and that every waking moment, should be on how much you hate the person and what they did to you. I'm telling you, that's part of my life and my story. Sin came in and said, you were treated wrongly, and you deserve to hate them. And you deserve to be angry and and to want bad things. Justice can be served if bad things happen to those people. And I can remember reliving and retelling myself that story over and over again. And all the while, sin says, it's better this way. Just hate them more and more. Let it consume you. They deserve it. For what they did to you, it should come back on them tenfold. It was under the guise of justice that I went to a dark place in my life and allowed revenge and hatred to literally consume my thoughts and my life. That's my backstory. And I just wonder what the backstory was for this younger son. I don't get the feeling that between verse 11 and 12, he said, You know what? I'm going to do something really stupid and really rash, and I'm going to go ahead and just throw away all this money and end up in a pig pen, longing to eat the food that were given to the pigs. He got tricked. He saw the shiny bait. He heard the little propeller. And he took a bite. At one time, the younger son sat at that table. But then the enemy showed up. The enemy stood at the back of the room. He acted as though he wanted to help. He made his way closer and closer to the table. But don't misunderstand, he was not invited to have a seat, at least not by the Father. In this book, Louis Giglio writes that many Christians have done just that. Have you ever listened closely to the words of Psalm 23, verse 5? It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We just sang that a second ago. Isn't that, isn't that really weird to think about? That God has prepared a table in the presence of your enemies. Get this, folks. It's a table for two. It's God, the King, the Creator, who holds everything. And He says, I'm, I'm preparing a feast for you. Come and sit down. This is for you. Jeff, this is for you. Mark, this is for you. It's you and God get to sit at that table. No one else is supposed to be there. And then you look around, and behind you, you see your enemies. God doesn't say He's going to vanquish your foes, He doesn't say He's going to take away that temptation. You're still going to hear the whispers and the lies and the threats. But God says, you're at the table with me. Focus on me and what I have for you. But we don't always believe that. We start to look around. We start to listen. The enemy is close, but God is closer. But you continue to recognize their presence and they watch and they whisper they clench their teeth they pop their knuckles they pace back and forth they might whisper a threat, a promise or an offer the enemy while you're at the table with God will try to coax lure seduce and lie they will elicit sympathy they will promise revenge they will guarantee happiness or even pledge prosperity. The question is, will you give your enemy a seat? Are you willing to pull up a chair and say, you know what? The feast is great, but come sit here. Tell me what you have. And that's all it takes. Paul is clear. He says, guard your hearts. He says, flee from all sexual immorality. He doesn't say, let them pull up a chair or get nearby. He says, get them out of the way, out of your mind. Focus on God. But the enemy, he'll trick you and he'll entice you. And then after he's gotten you, he'll do something far worse. Listen to this satan's been whispering to you see that fruit take it the fruit looks good doesn't it god has been denying you this fruit god never said that you shouldn't have this fruit i promise you if you eat this it's going to solve all your problems but as soon as you eat the fruit and hit guilt shame and frustration the enemy changes roles He shifts from being the enticer and promiser to becoming the accuser and the condemner. Now he's all over your case. He's telling you that you're the dumbest person that he's ever seen. He insists you're the poorest example of a Christian there's ever been. If there's ever a Christian who didn't get it, that's you. You're hopeless. A complete failure. Man, you messed up this time. God must hate you. He's angry with you you idiot you're too far gone you'll never get back let's watch a replay of what you just did okay it's hilarious because you're so pathetic it was so easy to trick you and so maybe for some of you you're tempted to allow satan to pull up a chair but for most of you He's already set down. Instead of thinking about all the things that you could have, all you're focused in is is all the things that you've done. Isn't it crazy how he'll he'll entice you and trick you and tempt you, and the moment you give in, he immediately just overwhelms you with that guilt. And that's where some of you are this morning. You want him gone. You want to forget about all the pain and the hurt and the sorrow that you've caused. All the mistakes that you've made. All the shame that you have to live with. All the secrets that you want to bury or hide. But guess what? God never left the table. He's just calling you to make it to a table just for two. And you can do that this morning. For those of you who are overwhelmed with guilt and shame, I just want to plead with you. Kick the devil out. It's a lie, it's a scheme, and he just wants to trap you. For those of you who can hear the voices of the enemy behind you, Don't look at them. Don't listen. God allowed that table to be set for the two of you and your enemies are close, but He remains closer. And focus on Him. And so this morning, as we think about our shame and our foes and the feast set before us, my prayer is that you will listen to the voice of God as He calls us to feast together. Let's do that this morning as we stand and sing.